This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. After you're done with this, be sure to check out the other Horsemen of the Podcasting Apocalypse. Brandon Legion's Horrorwolf 666, Jackie Smith's Into the Necrosphere, Everything Went Black, which you are listening to right now, Necromaniacs, which is hosted by myself, Jeff Kashid, and Mike Scandato, and on Sunday, the Lord's Day, check out Soul Knox Podcast. They were mad, Jeff realized, or he was. He had been overworking. This was a dream, a paranoid fantasy. This knowledge made him calmer. He would follow his mad logic, at least until he could be certain with whom the insanity lay. But some diseases are eradicated, he protested. When they become expendable, Dr. Thackeray told him, some, of course, simply die out or fall victim to the non-medical intervention. Others, we announce, a cure for makes the profession look good. The world was restored to faith in medicine, praises its practitioners, and pours more money into research. The prestige a physician enjoys in the community is an essential factor to us. And that was a short excerpt from today's installment of Darkness Weaves. This is our fourth installment in our analysis of the work of Carl Edward Wagner. Uh, our, the first order of business is going through the recently republished In a Lonely Place by uh, the great Valancourt Books. And uh, for today, we're, we're doing the fourth seal, as I mentioned. So how's it going, Carl? Everything going good? Yeah, not too bad. You know, it's another day and it's a... Uh rainy it's been like rain like just constant rain the last two days which is kind of un, un, unusual weather for for a car <laughs> yeah it's it was kind of chilly and overcast yesterday and today too out here and uh yeah we were talking a little bit before i just returned from uh from the nightlands festival this weekend uh which was the was the, the cadabra records inaugural event this is the first one they did and uh it was a lot of fun there was a pre-show on friday i'm sorry pre-show on thursday which featured um john paget and chris bozzone reading or not reading but forming the pictures of apocalypse record in its entirety you know i i don't want to say audiobook because it's not at all what it is it's like it's a it's its own thing it's like a spoken word narration 
with musical accompaniment. And that's what Cadaver Records does. And um, they also did some selections from uh, Noctuary, which is a forthcoming uh, release. They're going to be doing a re repress of the book and the record. And uh, they're, doing, they're doing a record too. Yeah, yeah. The records are beautiful. Uh, Paul Romano is doing the artwork for the for the uh, Noctuary uh, book and record. And uh, I actually was able to secure a print of the artwork. Really cool. Six. And um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's great. Romano's incredible artist. And uh, yeah, the rest of the rest of the Friday and Saturday was just spent down in this incredible structure called Cathedral down in South Jersey in a small town called Hamilton. And uh, S.T. Joshi was there, um, you know, which was like a huge thing for me. And, you know, you and I are both fans of him. And any of the better presentations of Lovecraft's work, you'll see that Joshi has something to do with the annotations or, you know, just something to do with those things. And, you know, he, he was just a scholar, you know, so it was really cool to hear him talk and meet him. And anyone who follows me on Instagram will see that I took a picture with him, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I saw that. I was like, oh, that's sick that you got to meet S.G. Joshi. And then I was starting to think about how, like, there's only a select people probably in your, your friend group here. Like, oh, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, there's probably a lot of people who are like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who that is, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. I mean, there's there's like a short list of people who know know who he is, you know? But it's like, those are the important people, you know? Those ones who I have a lot in common with, you know? And, and yeah. um, so it's cool. You know, but yeah, it was just a lot of fun. And now to loop back into today's episode, I was asking people because some some of the some of the people at Cadabra, I mean, I, I had, you know, Chris on as a guest a few months ago. Yeah. So they're familiar with with the show and they listen to the podcast occasionally. And and um I brought up Carl Edward Wagner to these people, and no one is even familiar with him, believe it or oh, not. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> Yeah, it's just he's such a mystery man, you know. It's um so you know, I did my best to try to educate people on on his great work. And uh yeah, I don't know. It's just it's it's like a, a mystery to me why more people don't read him. I mean, a lot of it, yeah, sure, everything's been out of print for a really long time, but um, you know, I'm hoping that people will, will start paying attention more. You know, I mean Valancourt put out that collection and you know, so and we're trying to do what we can do. Also, um um I was uh, um, apprised by uh, by Nas, you know, from Alcles that there's a uh, audiobook version that been only plays on uh, Audible, so I picked that up as well. So, and and uh, I because I was like, well, that's really useful because I, not only can I read the story, but then when I'm preparing for the episode, I can listen to it as well, which is what I did today. I listened to the story, like, um, you know, you know, just a little bit ago before we started, you know, so it's like fresh in your mind while i'm working i can listen to it and you know what i mean and the and the the guy who does the reading is really good like he oh, does, cool. yeah he does like kind of different voices for all the characters and stuff and yeah it's uh so you know people you know you can get it get the book you can get the audio book you know like <laughs> so anyone out there is listening to this and you don't like to read uh get the yeah. audio book and listen to it you know at, at your own leisure and you can enjoy his work as well yeah, exactly. You know, so definitely recommend. Yeah, like I said, I picked it up because I can so I can listen to stories while I work as well. So <laughs> because I like to read the story, but but uh, it's kind of nice to do, be able to do both. I mean, reading it, I feel like you really like when you read something. It's like your brain does something with the 
symbols and you know the letters like these like weird symbols your brain has to determine you know arrange them into ideas and that activity of taking something that your eyes could see on a page and understanding them as ideas i think it's a really crucial thing for our you know our, our development as people you know i think it's like something that's like magical in some ways you know and, and your brain conjures up these images and uh I just find that to be so enriching to my life, you know, to to do that regularly. And it's, um, yeah, it just expands your whole intellect, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I think, too, like, there's a difference. Like, I do, um, you know, I like to listen to audiobook while I work or whatever, but um, I feel like there's, like, an extra dimension when you actually sit and read something for real. You know what I mean? Like, like I like, particularly doing a show like this, like, I need to be able to, I couldn't just do it based off of listening to it. I need to read it as well because it's like somehow that makes everything sink in more. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> So the fourth seal, it's one of Wagner's earlier uh, pieces. It was the first published in Whispers, 1975. And Whispers uh, is a, you know, public, a periodical that came out. Uh, Styx was also published in that periodical. And uh, Lee Brown Coy's art also was on the cover a lot of times of whispers so um oh yeah. yeah the um there's like a little thing that that wagner writes in the back of this book it has this thing it says the fourth seal was written in october 1971 during the period after which i had dropped out of medical school and out of a phd program in neurobiology the story pretty well reflects my bitterness toward the medical profession and the briefly mentioned character kirk walk Kirk Walker is a thin disguise of the author's persona. The story was inspired by a series of lectures in epidemiology concerning the cyclical nature of deadly diseases. This much of Fourth Seal is factual, as are many of the conversations and political sentiments expressed by the characters. This later exemplified the repressive attitudes in medical education during the late 1960s, from which I had turned and discussed the goal of making a career in writing. So, yeah, yeah I, I I was thinking how this story is very personal to him because, uh, you know, we we know and hopefully you guys know since we've been talking about it on all these episodes that he, um, you know, he was in the medical. He was in on his way to becoming a physician. So this is like personal to him. And this story reflects like his very, very it's probably one of his most cynical stories, really, if you think. Yeah. About it. <laughs> yeah. This story, like I'll have to I mean as we'll obviously get into it more as we go on but this one hits a nerve for me of like my own like cynicism towards towards doctors and american medical association and stuff like because if you just look at the history of the ama it's done some pretty horrendous stuff like almost openly like flagrantly as in terms of like discrediting any other form of medicine aside from its own you know like pushing like fucked up stuff you know it's it's a pretty it's, you know, it's not, this story isn't too close from, from reality, really, you know, so. <laughs> uh, you know, in some, some conspiratorial circles, I'm, I'm sure people are, are actually thinking this is what's going on, you know, and for all I know that, for all we both know, this could be the reality, you know, there, <laughs> there's like some secret society, you know, with these like uh, silver and onyx rings, like, you know, running everything and, you know, repressing, restraining certain cures and all that sort of stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I guess we can get into the story and then 
and then uh, yeah talk about it yeah. more <laughs> yeah so the main the main character is uh metzger jeff metzger he's a young doctor uh sort of like a wonderkind you know he's like a very talented guy he comes from a um his father was a was a physician you know they have means we discover we find out from we learn about him that you know he's done excellently in school he has had the best uh residencies he's even done some kind of um you know uh you know charity work as far as like you know lending out his expertise to people who are less privileged and helping them so he's an all-around positive force in the medical field very idealistic um looking to better mankind you know so that's what we know about metzger and he's also married too he's got a wife yeah he, he takes the ideals of the hypocritic oath like very seriously you know what yeah I mean? like, <laughs> it's a very solemn oath for him yeah um, so we, we come into him and thackeray uh he's like the chairman of the department um discussing some of the roots of medicine you know or, or some beliefs a belief set of where medicine came from that there was like a a old like an ancient technology that was a combination of like medical ideas physics you know uh, astronomy magic you know it was all sort of blended together you know and um and that was like this ancient belief system you know a friend of metzger's was a was a big uh champion of that yeah the aforementioned kirk walker that he died yeah which is yeah. supposed to be his, his his persona yeah, and um, and it, it, this beginning already sets up something that's that's true for the whole story is that the majority of the action in the, in this in this story is through di is through dialogue and and conversations. So, I mean, almost everything is 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 done in conversation in the story. You know? Yeah, it's very very dialogue heavy, and and um, and you know, it's funny. Like anyone who has listened to Necromaniacs will hear me go on and on about how I love movies with a lot of dialogue, and uh, I kind of feel like this film, this this would make a good film in that vein. You know, like mm -hmm. maybe a short or something that might have been included in, uh, you know, like Cabinet of Curiosities or something like that. You know? Yeah, I could see this as almost being like a, you know, like a night gallery episode or something where it's just yeah. like. Yeah, done in dialogue and and um, I would I think it would be pretty cool. I mean, you could probably do this in a really cool way. And the way that the story has these cuts and stuff like that, it it reads kind of like I when like reading it, I can imagine it being a a show or a movie or something because you can kind of even see like the scene breaks and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So so Metzger's friend, you know, the the guy that's the stand-in for for Wagner. He, um, you know, he, he gets in a disagreement with uh, over over grades. Apparently, like back in these times, it was less like, uh, you know, um, like grading had to, had a lot more to do with like a sub subjectivity to your work. So you can argue points with your professors and whatever. And so this guy leaves medical school and then uh, mysteriously dies of a Hodgkin's disease. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny because he's talking about um. Kirk would say, and and the other part about this is that apparently Thackeray, the the head of the whole like you know medical uh, this like whatever it is like school or not school, but it's like a called um, oh, the center, the center, yeah, yeah. I mean this that this this Walker guy would talk about 
you know, Egyptian artifacts, Greek thinkers, Byzantine and later Roman writings, Islamic studies after the Roman lake change owners, Jewish Kabbalism, secret researches by done certain monks on through the Dark Ages and into the Renaissance, even throughout bits of Chinese history. And you talk about like Bacon and Paracelsus and Albertus Magnus, like all the, you know, his alchemists and stuff like that. So he's basically saying that, and they're talking about how the difference between um, science and magic and how everything was different at that time. So it's like, you know, like um, basically part of what he's like seems to be arguing for is that there's an existence of some type of like the like the idea that we had like access to things before we before we think we do like you know the people that some type of cabal of some sort has had access to higher levels of uh science and medicine than than what we are aware of basically yeah what's interesting is the connection of the you know the title of fourth seal is uh you know from the book book of revelations you know that's the uh you know the pale horseman horseman of the apocalypse kind of thing which you know is like very uh, very much um you know prominent in the book of revelations and that whole idea of there being a uh, repressive uh organization sort of dispelling these ancient beliefs is like in line with like a lot of like the, the you know catholics basically you know and and uh you know the persecution of uh, some of the early astronomers and that sort of thing so it's it's pretty yeah, it's pretty on, on the money with that sort of ideology, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, like, and I think it's funny because, yeah, there's like just a lot of stuff about, like, the idea of progress. In fact, the conception of science, as we understand it, is a relatively modern development of thought. You know, like, there's a lot of conversation about this type of stuff in this section, you know, and it's like, I think, um, yeah, it says, like, is it any wonder then that Walker's proto-scientists kept their work secret, shared their discoveries only if a select brotherhood? At least that was Kirk's theory. And, uh, yeah, and Thackeray, like, doesn't seem that he's he's down with it. You know what I mean? I <laughs> think he's, like, subtly, like, letting on. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, there's kind of, like, a bit of foreshadowing in this, too. You know, and also, this isn't one of the longer stories in, the, in this collection, either. So it kind of moves along pretty quickly, I think. Yeah. Um, there's another piece of foreshadowing too, where where uh, Metzger's uh, commenting on the coffee that that's uh, available in the labs, you know, in this facility where each medical facility has like a uh, worsening quality of coffee available, and he comments on the acrid flavor of the coffee. So right away, you know that this is, you know, the first time I read this story. Uh, you know, I, I only had read the story for the first time when I got this collection because it wasn't in any of the other things I had. And I was like, oh, the coffee's going to play into this somehow. They're making a point out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I like later on when, you know, he gets his um his own laboratory and everything. And he he gets like a, a coffee maker just for his own lab. And he says that, that no, even even with your own coffee maker, it still tastes like bad. bad. <laughs> it's so funny. It's man after my own heart, man. Like I, if I, uh, you know, if I, if I was a some kind of scientist or uh, you know, doctor and I had a lab, I'd have definitely have my own coffee maker in there. Yeah. You definitely have to, you're not going to share coffee with everybody. <laughs> yeah. The, um, but yeah, so Metzger is, you know, we given his whole background of 
Um, you know, he, he was at St. John's, like a kind of liberal arts school. As he started doing that instead of uh, going directly to middle, medical school. Then he goes to Harvard. So he's combined like a liberal arts education. He has his combined MD, PhD in biochemistry. Um, a stint with the public health service and the poverty belt. Um, and he mentions his, his family connections, like an uncle with a governorship, a brother doing very well in the vice presidential ladder of a very big corporation, and a good marriage socially. And they say so socially because we learned that this marriage is actually typical of the way that Wagner portrays the man-woman relationship. This, these types of relationships are seem, seem to be like the norm in all of Wagner's stories. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if people get married like for a social, yeah. Um, I guess Jeff's father had been, uh, his father, very influential in the AMA, had been supposedly slated for its top post at the time of his death from a coronary. So comes from a medical family, I, I think you said earlier. And yeah. Um, yeah, he moves and uh, yeah, moves into his thing. And then the next section, we're kind of it, talking about that kind of like cutting. It, it cuts from him like crumpling up the cup and throwing it away to all of a sudden like it's a conversation between him and his wife and his wife asks him if you notice this ring that sid lipton had on last night i thought this was an inter interesting way of telling this part of the story because it's like they're referring back to something that happened last night instead of it being in real time like there's you know there's uh it's breakfast time you know what i mean and they're having breakfast and it's at the morning after the party and they noticed that Dr. Lipton had this like really sick ring, this black onyx ring with like a, you know, some sort of like a sigil on it, you know, like a silver and onyx ring. And um, he was just kind of flashing that around. <laughs> and Thackeray has, he kind of scolds him for wearing it out in public. Like she observed that happening, right? So I thought that was an interesting way of telling the story rather than having it happen in real time where they're actually at the party. And, you know, Metzger would have observed that or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it, um, well, it's funny too, because she, she's the one noticing, she tells him about it. He's just like brushing it off, like not even paying any attention really. Like he's trying to watch the show, the, the news. And there's like, yeah. he's like upset because of this, uh, I think like the liberal presidential campaign can't, uh, the elite, the head liberal, like presidential, like candidate has just died suddenly, like. You know, he's all he's like upset about that because he's a because he's definitely a kind of a, a liberal like type of guy, and um, and she's she's like trying to talk to him about the stuff, and she brings up the ring. How Thackeray told him not to, you know, tell him not to wear it. He's not really not paying any attention. I think that's the funny thing is that even if he was at the party, I don't think he would even he didn't notice that night. You know, like a couple things here. So so we definitely there's there's a strong like left versus right sentiment in this story you know what i mean like there's there's like a, a right wing and a left wing representation in this story and um you know and what i find i i thought this was actually one of wagner's more humorous stories because of just the absurdity of like people just dying you know what i mean like like you get the sense that there's like this hidden hand guiding things around you know if this you know if this guy is not part of the program he gets killed somehow or dies mysteriously by some disease you know what i mean and uh yeah <laughs> and the, the fact that the liberal candidate died 
mysteriously, you know, it's like, it's just the whole, there's people dying left and right in this story, like mysteriously. I just find that to be funny, you know? Yeah. 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 He, it's funny because, yeah, they have this whole conversation about everything. And it's just kind of one of those relationships, like his wife, where you're just like, he doesn't want to talk to her. You know what I mean? He's obviously yeah. just married her because, because he was supposed to kind of, you know what I mean? It's another interesting thing that happens too, because, you know, he's obviously focused on his work and he's talking about, you know, like I'm about to make this big breakthrough, you know, and she's like, uh, oh, great. You know, another one of these breakthroughs where it's like some completely trivial, uh, you know, thing you're, you're working on, you know, to be to her, like, it's yeah. not like some, you know, it's like this trivial, like scientific thing that doesn't mean anything to her specifically. You know, and then but then he acknowledges that he is he has been working too much and that he really thinks that he should spend some more time with her, you know, which I thought was interesting. You know, there's a wrinkle in it, you know. But at the same time, he's just thinking about his work. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. But and then it ends with him being like, Why don't you go buy yourself a new dress, basically? <laughs> yeah, here, here. Here, take take uh take the checkbook and uh go go buy yourself something nice. You know, it's it's like it's total <laughs> old school like you know way of dealing with stuff <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's like very like it's very like 60s way of like brushing off your wife or whatever <laughs> um but yeah then it switches and this is where um oh wait no first of all he ends up um oh what's his name um i'm gonna talk about the his co-worker he's got the lab next to him yeah Froneberger. Yeah. He says stuff like mucho scrassy ass. Yeah, so th that's what I mean. There's a lot of humor in this story. <laughs> yeah. So anyone who's worked in like an office, you know, I don't know if you ever worked in an office, Carl, but like, you know, a lot of what I do is I, I work in office. Not right now. I work right where you see me, you know, in this fucking blue room that I'm in right now. But like, <laughs> right. But the, um, you know, I, I've done my time in offices, you know, and there's always that really annoying dude who's like, you know, wants to know what you're working on is like, too friendly like on monday morning you know he's always cheerful right. you know and that's the fronenberger character like he's got the lab next to he's a colleague of uh, metzger's and he's got a lab next door to his and he's the guy with like the really annoying stupid anecdotal humor that is just you want to on a, i can imagine this guy be really be very annoying on a monday morning yeah and he's like um uh he's i guess he's studying like flu viruses or something like that so so there, there is a little bit of a um, crossover with their work, though. You know what I mean? Like, there's some similarities. Like, uh, Metzger's working on a, you know, cure for cancer, I guess. You know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, apparently, apparently Fronenberger, uh, Metzger had, had some, like, photos out and uh, of, like, I guess, like, what is it, like, of, like, the... Basically photographs of, like cells or something like that you know, yeah yeah of, yeah there, there was a term they used in the in the story but i can't remember it actually yeah um uh yeah i'm not sure I, where is it um i guess it's not important but <laughs> I, like i'm like looking and i'm like i can't whatever yeah so it's like photographs of of these like tests like cells that he's working on and um and the the thing that you get the feeling is that Fronenberger is 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 being purposely no nosy he's trying to get 
a read on what what he's studying. You know what I mean? And um, and we'll find out in the next section that he that everybody knows basically. So, and the next section is when you hear about another person dying. So he's like sitting there reading his newspaper, and the one guy is it's like too late for you to help him, huh? And he's like, "What are you oh. talking about?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is a. I saw you reading about the headlines that Supreme Court Justice says Festung, that's his name. Yeah. And uh, I guess Justice Freeport's death from cancer just happened. And he's like, the Freeport was a good man, the second justice to die in the last few months, and both of them liberals. They'll have a hard time replacing them, especially with the administration we have right now. And Festung says, oh, well, they'll probably find another couple commies to fill their seats. Don't see how you can seriously regret Freeport and Lloyd after the stands those leftists took on socialized medicine. Sure, it's great to be a bleeding heart humanitarian, but tell me how much of this fancy research you'd be doing as a soured pill pusher. <laughs> yeah, so this is like where we, we get into like some real cynical, like, uh, you know, cynicism here. You know, Fe Festung is like, you know, some like right wing, you know, very conservative dude, you know, who looks at socialized medicine or some sort of like, you know, Medi Medicare for all, like a program similar to that as like the, the nemesis of his like career, you know, like no funding, the government controlling everything. Like, you know, he's one of these guys, you know what I mean? Where um, it's like, it's just interesting. And also that he's, um, he's, is he also an epidemiologist? Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah, he, yeah. 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 He's a, yeah. He, he's, he's, um, I think he studies um, disease, like uh, plagues and stuff. So this is uh, where where he he really underscores the cynical, nihilistic sort of um, pointlessness, the point of view that he has to the whole thing, the whole medical field, you know. And this this indicates that he's actually not part of this um this secret society because he sees things in a different way than they do. Like Festung thinks that medic medicine is pointless that you know we come up with these vaccines but these diseases just kind of vanish or you know he's they come and go almost by you know every generation has their nemesis he says something to the uh to the extent of that where you know that first it was like the plague and then it was this and then it was that now it's cancer and eventually it's going to be something else and he just thinks that like statistically medicine has done absolutely nothing to prolong human life or to heal people or anything like that. <laughs> so for him, it's like all this politics is really just about, you know, protecting his job. He's like, yeah, we're doing this stuff. doesn't really matter, but I need to make a living. You know, the liberals are trying to take money out of my pockets so that, you know, I'm glad this like justice is dead, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he basically says that, yeah, like these things come and go as they will. And, you know, it really doesn't matter, like, what we do. Eventually, it'll go away, basically. <laughs> it's, like, it's like such a, like, just an awesome, like, like, point of view for a guy who makes a living healing. You know, that's like the irony about it, which I love. And that's like what made me laugh out loud when I was reading this. I was like, this guy's like a fucking doctor, man. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, that's pointless. You know, what I do has very little impact on humanity, you know, but I'm just going to take my paycheck every two weeks and, you know. I, I want. I don't want the you know the Democrats to take office because they're going to like socialize medicine. That's essentially what you get out of Festung. Yeah, and he. I, and the funny thing is that that Wagner says in that thing I read at the beginning that 
a lot of these conversations are based off of literally like real conversations he's had with people. So it tells you, oh, dude, I can imagine, man. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Like doctors are like some of the most cynical, like nihilistic people. You know, it seems like. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, uh, I've yet to meet a doctor that I particularly like in my life. So <laughs> I've never, I've never met a doctor. I'm like, yeah, you're a good person. So you know, like. Totally. Man. <laughs> so that's kind of it's kind of sewn out to life right um but yeah so the, yeah, they have this conversation which is all about that kind that stuff and i i just think it's funny he's just like how he is he's like oh oh he's like and one we'll find something new to die of wonder what that'll be <laughs> um but yeah okay so the next the next section of the story um Metzger leaves leaves that conversation with uh Pestung. Gets to his office and there's Dr. Um Thackeray. Thackeray. Yeah. yeah. Just uh standing in his office like and uh they kinda have this conversation and Thackeray ends up giving him these two black folios basically with like that sigil on it. Tells him, like, uh, I need you to, I want you to read these and then we'll come talk about it in the morning, basically. <laughs> this is the one thing, okay, that I had a little bit of an issue with. Okay, so Metzger never actually saw the sigils. You know what I mean? His wife saw them. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, this is the one thing where, like, I think, like, um, she, you know, his wife saw the rings. Uh, Metzger did not make any comment about seeing them you know what i mean he didn't see the ring but she did describe the sit the seal and so okay. i'm sure he could recognize it. but then we also find out that his father right. yeah he has this like memory where he remembers seeing it as well yeah, i found like as much as i love wagner i felt like that was like a little circular you know what i mean like that part of it where like it would have just been i i don't know just it would have made just as easy to have him actually see that it would have been a little you know i don't know i'm not I'm making i'm splitting hairs here but it's like that's the one thing i had with this story well i mean the thing about it though is he doesn't really comment on the seal on the folio just kind of says it's there i don't think there's like a real recognition expressed when he sees it you know what i mean right like uh where is it Yeah, two black binders wait, waiting. Their vinyl covers cover, bore no title. Closer glance, he was aware of a tiny silver seal embossed in either spine. So it's just kind of describing what it is. So he doesn't seem to like recognize it. You know what I mean? Okay. I think right. I think we no, no. are supposed to like connect the dots between what his wife said and what they show in this. Right. So I see. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm with you now. I'm on board because now yeah. it's more about the reader recognizing the presence of the seal and Metzger, Metzger still just being kind of oblivious that, that anything's even going on really. Okay. Yeah. I think he's like a little nervous where he's not sure why Thackeray's yeah. there and he, trying to, he just thinks these binders are just a report that he wants him to read. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't yeah. show any real recognition of the seal. Yeah. So, um, basically then we cut to the next day and, uh, Metzger has not slept all night. <laughs> he's like upset. Like he's like, doesn't understand what this what this data is like he doesn't understand like like um but all he knows is that it basically 
has data that not only replicated his exact work that he's doing on on the cancer but some of it's like beyond what he could even like fathom like essentially like you would never think of some of the things that's in these these reports you know but he's just like shocked because it's like he's like why is there why is there are how, there's already somebody that already found the cure for cancer basically is what these folios are telling these uh, this binder is telling them you know what i mean <laughs> so he's like, like a, long, needs... a long time ago too now, you know like this the, this basically cures for everything essentially yeah. outlined in the uh material that's within the binders yeah because um yeah we find out and there's one that's somewhat newer um and we'll find out in the conversation so he basically goes there and there's there's uh thackeray and um what's his name the other guy um uh the chairman of surgery um doesn't i forget what his name is but anyway so there's 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 uh yep yeah, thackeray and then the chairman of of uh surgery which is the guy that she said earlier that was wearing the ring and um lipton dr lipton that's it so yeah so he's like this research all this stuff and they're like um whose work is this and he says um one of it's dr johnson taggart and it says taggart but taggart died 10 years ago brain tumor and they're like and the other paper most of it was the work of sir david aubrey and he says aubrey died at the turn of the century <laughs> it's like funny it's almost like a, like an abbott and costello kind of thing. i don't know it's just so funny to be this that that's this this is probably the funniest story in the entire collection obviously because yeah. of this dark humor you know <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely dark humor. So he's like, he's like, yeah, and he's saying that in this older one from Aubrey, there's basically cure for everything, essentially. Like everything's laid out, and um, and they're having having these conversations. Like, how is this even possible? Like, how how is this? You know, he doesn't understand. You know, what I mean. <laughs> so they start they uh, start to to lay it out for him. You know, like. And he realizes they both have rings, the rings. And he said, yeah, I like this. Perhaps the world wasn't ready for a cure for cancer. Syntacry. <laughs> uh, he's like, would you? Would it be wise to circulate a total cure for cancer just now? He's like, what do you mean? The lives of suffering. The price of power, Dr. Metzger. The price of power. Just as every empire is built upon the lives and suffering of the expendable. <laughs> It's like the whole nefarious plot gets like, uh, you know, um, rolled out right here, you know, and you, you get to learn that these guys are part of this secret organization that's pulling the strings behind everything, you know, all the, I mean, that, that's like real power, life and death over the entire human race. You know, it's pretty, pretty insane. Yeah. And um, they've, they've basically have been here for untold, like, like basically since the whole thing that we served in the beginning of some type of secret cabal, like operating back in, you know, the depths of, of like, even like the Egyptian times or whatever, we basically find out that this is true. Like these guys have been around since, since, you know, time immemorial, basically like, uh, kind of controlling, like, you know, diseases and the health, health of people and particularly like this, you know, this, this, these guys have been, you know, like kind of leading everything into the direction they want to like make sure that they have power, make sure that they got money, they got wealth. They, they talk about how um, sometimes people will 
accidentally cure certain things and or they'll actually sometimes they'll like release something and then then cure it just because like they're like yeah we want to have the the recognition you have to you know <laughs> doctor has to heal sometimes you know, basically <laughs> but you have to produce otherwise no one believes in what that you're doing is is even working at all so they're they have to justify like the money they're making too off of all this and every now and then they they probably resist it but every now and then they got to cure something you know <laughs> instead yeah. of holding all the secrets you know exactly and i think it's even it's more fucked up too because they find out that this this older guy not only um discovered a cure for cancer but actually created cancer basically <laughs> yeah it's it's like a it's like this incredible just like cynical like completely cynical point of view on like the medical uh world and the power that they wield over life and death hence the fourth seal you know and the pale, pale horse rider and all that sort of stuff yeah it's a, it's a real it's funny the first time i read the story i wasn't really sure where where it was going you know what i mean like i had no i never you know i had no idea what the story was gonna be about i had no idea what i just knew it was about a doctor right and I, and when it went this way i was like i was like Oh, okay. That's where it's going. Like, I was like, that, I mean, but then I'm like, you know, I, I could believe it. <laughs> well, we also, um, as you know, to round it out, there's a guy hiding Dr. Royce. Who's like uh, a psychologist. who's like in a, in a hidden room observing this whole thing. Okay. And, uh, you know, they, they want to bring Metzger into the fold because, you know, he is a talented physician. You know, he's very bright. He's connected. <laughs> His father was one of them, you know? Yeah, his father was part of this, uh, you know, secret society. And, um, you know, so Metzger, in his mind, he's like, yeah, I'm going to infiltrate this whole thing. You know, the, the bleeding heart liberal part of him is like, yeah, I'm going to infiltrate this. And I'm going to, like, blow it wide open and, you know, take down these guys. And, like, all this, they had this whole fantasy about, like, ending it. Yeah. So when he leaves, Royce comes out of his compartment and he's like, all he says is, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, okay. I've I, I checked this guy out. I observed him. He's trouble. He's not gonna fit, basically. Yeah, like he had like this like like they had like a like video and stuff like why he's like watching him, like watching his like his responses to everything. And I mean the whole time like he's just horrified. He's like, A physician should be the heel <laughs> and all this kinds of stuff, you know what I mean? Like he's just like he really believes in, in being a doctor, like he's not he's horrified by this whole idea of like people this this like cold-blooded that they are willing to sacrifice millions of people just to hold on to their own power you know what i mean right yeah so then um we uh we get another visit from uh fronenberger back at the lab you know this is as, as uh you know metzger is is speechless about what's going on and you know he feels like i, I could put an end to this whole eons long like cabal of you know power and this whole i can end this whole conspiracy you know what i mean so he goes back to his lab and he runs into fronenberger yeah and fronenberger um it's like hands him a cup of coffee and <laughs> and um and jeff's like i'm glad you dropped by i like, I'd like to talk to you about some of my research and all stuff like he's going to try to make friends with fronenberger to like see if he can share everything and uh i love the ending because he's like Fronenberger says, I don't think you're gonna you'll have time. He reached for Jeff's empty coffee cup, dropped in a pocket of his lab coat. 
What do you mean? asked Jeff, thickly, coughing suddenly. There was pain deep, deep in his throat. Another racking cough filled his mouth with blood, and he knew what Fronenberger meant. <laughs> yeah, see, it's great. It's a comedy. This whole thing is a comedy. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it it kind of is, like, in almost like this, like, Shakespearean sort of way. It's a comedy, you know? It's like how those old plays are comedies, but they're not really that funny, you know what I mean? I definitely think this is definitely a dark comedy. Like, throughout the whole story, there's kind of this comedic tone to it. Um, it's definitely like maybe a, it look kind of a satire, but there's also this element to it that is definitely like a, a send up of the whole medical field and working in a medical lab and all this kinds of stuff, you know, like it just rings true. Like you can really tell that he, he put a lot of his own experiences into the story. Yeah, that's, uh, definitely true. And, um, you know, hopefully you guys are, if, if you're interested in Wagner, you're, you're researching him a little bit and discovering a little bit about him um actually one of the interesting aside regarding carl Edward wagner last couple of days as i as i said i was um you know at nightlands festival i ran into one person who knew about carl Edward wagner there was this guy that i knew he had seen tombs perform in uh in charleston and his father went to high school with carl edward wagner oh wow he found him in the yearbook and he's like, yeah, Carl Edward Wagner, high school with, with his dad. That's crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah, totally. And we were talking about, you know, just like, uh, you know, where the summer ends and, oh, you know what it was? We were talking about um, trying to, what the, oh yeah, the Willows, the um, Algernon Blackwood story, uh, you know, with the, there was a reading of that story because like Cadabra put out um, a record that narrated the story. And um, while I was listening to it, I was thinking about the willows in that story, how they're encroaching on the uh, the two canoe guys, the guys in the canoe. You know, they're they're stranded there. And for a minute, I was thinking about the kudzu in um, in uh, where some where the summer ends. Yeah, and that's that's when I was talking to that dude because the guy's from the south. You know, he's he knows what kudzu is. So I was talking to this guy, Rob, and I was like, you know, I'm not saying that these stories have any real connection, but it's like, while I was listening to that narration of uh, the Willows, I was thinking about, you know, where the summer, where summer ends and kudzu and how the Willows and the kudzu were kind of this thing. And they both kind of obscured something sinister, you know? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, I, I would imagine, I mean, Wagner, obviously, very well. I mean, he knows all It's probably he could have been like, um drawing from the will is kind of you know like yeah at least on like a deeper even like a subconscious level even if not directly you know that, that was the first time i'd actually thought about that is when i was listening to the performance of that piece and um it never really dawned on me at all until that moment and i was like man this is interesting like i because they also were showing visuals behind you know they had the, the reader was like front and center and they had the guys performing the score in the back and then there was like a video monitor where they would put image imagery and um, when they showed the willows, I was like, oh, something clicked in my mind about the kudzu in um, River of Night Dreaming. I'm sorry, not River of Night Dreaming, uh, where the summer ends. Yeah. And um, and I was like, oh, I wonder if like there's any, is there anything to this like thought process I had about it, you know? And then when I found out this guy Rob knew about Wagner and his dad went to high school with him, I, I was asking him and he was like, yeah, you know, I could see that. That sounds like a legit sort of thing to uh, to ponder, you know? 
Yeah, I think so too. Like, I think that there's definitely uh, could be a connection, you know. And and then like I think we talked about with where the summer ends episode that I also could see a kind of influence maybe from like the William Hope Hodgson stories with like the the fungus type of thing yeah. spreading everywhere, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Like yeah. uh, Hodgson has all those like <laughs> fucked up stories of like fungus people and stuff, you know. <laughs> You ever read uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers? The novel? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, I have never read I have it, but I haven't read it. And uh, the last time I watched it, because we covered it for um, Necromaniacs a couple of years, maybe a year ago, and I was like, man, this is a total weird tale. Like, this is like a total cosmic horror story. And uh, But I'd never read the novel, so I'm just curious about reading that and checking it out. Yeah, I remember it being good. I mean, I read it when I was like a, I don't know, a kid or a teenager, so it's been a while. But... Uh, I do think it's kind of a weird tale, though, because it's, you know, uh, yeah, it has, I guess it has an alien, but but in a lot of ways, if you, I think the story itself, like, it's it's not quite as clear that it's an alien invasion. It's just some invasion from somehow, you know what I mean, if I remember correctly, but, you know, it still has a weird tale feeling because it's like the whole way it operates just feels very, like, weird, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm interested to read that because I, I really I enjoyed the '70s Donald, the one that Donald Sutherland and um, Jeff Goldblum are in. You know, the one that that got, they've remade that movie so many times, but like that said, the '70s Invasion of the Body Snatchers that to me is like the, the quintessential version of that story. Yeah, I definitely think it's it's probably the best. I mean, I do like the original one um, from the '50s as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I almost feel like you could read the the 70s one as not being like a remake per se, but being like a sequel because you do have the, the same guy showing up and the, the main character from the 50s one showing up in the 70s one. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 yeah that I think Mike and I discussed that during that episode about how the same it's, it's it is a sequel in, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely I think it's definitely more of a sequel than anything. Like it could be that, you know, you had that first movie where that happened there and then 20 years later now spreading to like san francisco and stuff you know and um i also nimoy has a great uh role in that movie yeah he's great in that (laughs) (laughs) whenever he shows up and he's not playing spock i always get a kick out of it you know one thing i love about that movie is that it's also kind of sending up the whole like me generation like san francisco type of people you know what i mean like it's yeah. kind of making fun of him, I think. Is uh, kind of reminds me. Do you ever see? Have you ever seen? There's like this old um comedy called Serial, S E R I L. Yeah, it's from the '70s as well, and it's it's a comedy set in San Francisco that's making fun of like all the me generation stuff. Like, um, it's really funny though. Like, and it kind of reminded me. It re- reminded me of a they are hitting on the same notes and my dad was in um, San Francisco in that time period, like in the seventies. So, and you know, I think he always thought it was funny cause it was just like making fun. Cause he knew all those kinds of people, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. All the, well, well, that's it, man. That's the, uh, the fourth seal. And, um, now you guys, I hope are uh, enjoying this and, uh, please go out and pick up this, uh, this, in a lonely place collection and um enjoy we'll talk to you guys soon
sluggish golden river A sickly golden trickle A golden sticky trickle You can hear the bones humming You can hear the bones humming And the car reverses over The body in the basin In the shallow seaplane basin Oh, it's fun.
to the sea, the sea of rock.